What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 24 of the He Said, She Said podcast. I am your host, Reality Steve. I'm joined, by, as always, by my co-host, Ashley Spivey. Ashley, how are you? Doing great. How are you? Doing good. Um, we have a caller, our second caller this week, Renee in Fresno. And she has a situation uh, where she has a DUI and she um, was basically hasn't had her license for the last 10 months and she gets her license back. And we talk a little bit about just what it's like to not have a license and how to take public transportation and whatnot. I forgot to tell you a story. One of the last times that I was in New York, okay, it was my grandmother's birthday and it was out in Brooklyn. And I okay. took a... Did I Uber back? Yeah. I Ubered back from Brooklyn to Times Square, where I was staying. Uh-huh. And I was staying in Times Square because there's an Olive Garden right in the middle of Times Square, which <laughs> I went to. Awful. Uh, Not Olive Garden, but Times Square. <laughs> well, Times Square I is. I like Olive Garden. Yeah, oh, good. Good. You're in, you're, in, you're in my boat on that. Did you see the tweet of yeah. the other day when I put it out about the uh, the the uh, the couple that got married? Yeah, I had said a... I was going to. Oh yeah, you sent you responded to it. Yeah. Yeah. How great is that? A be, a Olive Garden catered wedding, a breadsticks bar? Holy shit. I so want to do that. I mean, honestly, a lot of times wedding food sucks, so <laughs> you know it's going to be good like if it's yeah. catered by Olive Garden. <laughs> and I can't t- I mean, I cannot tell you I don't stay in when I come to New York, I don't stay in Times Square all the time. Um, but I'd say Half the time I'm in Times Square and half the time I stay at the W on, was it Lexington and 49th, I think? I think I've stayed there a few times. Or I stay in Times Square. Anyway, the Times Square one is strictly because I want to go to Olive Garden. And uh, <laughs> I always make you a trip there. You can stay in a nicer area <laughs> and just take the subway to Olive Garden. Yeah, see, that's not, like I want to be able to walk out of my hotel because I stay at the Marriott Marquis and I can just walk from the Marriott Marquis Right out the door, cross the street, and I'm, boom, I'm right in Olive Garden's kitchen. It's awesome. Anyway, so my point being, (laughs) before I get sidetracked, my point being, I had to take an Uber from Brooklyn to Times Square, and it was on the day, so this would have been in like June, it was on the day of the Gay Pride Parade in New York. Holy fuck. So you couldn't get through it took two and a half hours to because he's like, we got to take this way. And we were basically like along the water. Like, I remember being along the water for a lot of the ride along like, I don't yeah. even know where you probably know. FDR. Yeah. yeah, whatever. But it took two and a half hours because we couldn't get into the streets. And I was like, oh, my you could have just got out. Wow. I probably could have, but I didn't know where I was in relation to Times Square. But yeah, I um, I totally probably could have. I bet you, I bet you, when I was a mile or two from Times Square, yeah, it, it was bumper to bump. It was bumper to bumper, and I just sat through it as opposed to oh, I could just get out and walk and probably be there by the time you make all these turns and these lights. Obviously, because there were certain streets that were basically blocked off, and I, yeah, what a disaster that was. That was one of my worst. New York experiences. Anyway. If you weren't staying in Times Square, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> well, I mean, there were, well, I guess it would all have depended where I was staying because 
there was a lot of streets blocked off that day because of the parade and it he just like could he kept telling me like I can't get o- I can't cut over here because I'm going to be blocked and I'm going to it's going to lead me around right. this way and I'm like oh okay well I don't know you know I'm one of these out of towners that I get so confused by New York streets I understand the you know 45th and 10th and you need to get to 35th and 5th I understand that's 15 blocks away but um if 35th and 5th is even a thing I don't even know but I know how to do the math I like I, I know like I know how far it is to go from the numbered streets I just don't understand the numbering system and what side the east side the west side Greenwich Village all that I don't understand that at all I'm clueless maybe you gave me it's a, a grid it's a it's, so if you if I if someone put the grid in front of me and I studied it for an hour would I be good at it or I need more than that well, okay. Say if you started on, I don't know, 10th Street and 5th Avenue, okay? And where's that? Midtown? Uptown? What is that considered? 10th and Greenwich 5th. Village. Okay. Like where Washington Square Park is. Don't know where And if is. you're walking up, right, yeah. like towards Central Park, if you make a right the avenues are going to go down. If you make a left, the avenues are going to go up. Okay. See, I would have to see that in front of me. It's tough to visualize it, but I see what you're saying. And and you can always use buildings as landmarks, like mm. the Empire State Building or the Freedom Tower. See, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, though, what, like being a New York resident, you know where those are located. I wouldn't know when I saw the Empire State Building what street it's on. It's on 32nd and something, right? Is that right? Did I get that part? Yeah, so you know it's like, it's north. <laughs> well, no, I don't know it's north. <laughs> I have to look at, I yeah, I would have to look at a grid to know this stuff. I just don't get it. And the funny thing is, well, not the funny, I mean, I was born in New York, but I only lived there till I was three, so that doesn't count. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there's still parts of New York that, like, the grid doesn't make sense. That, like, when you're in Tribeca or... If you're in Chinatown or stuff like that, like that doesn't exist anymore and you you can get lost. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I only lived there till I was three and I was born in the Bronx and I never lived in the city. So obviously I've been back to the city numerous times since college, whether it's visiting family or out there to visit, just vacation-wise stuff. And um, I get confused sometimes. I mean, I know... When I get in a cab and I tell them I, you know, where I need to go, I have the address of where I'm going, and I just get in a cab and tell them, I'm not mm-hmm. really following along like, oh, okay. I just like, hey, you know, it picks me up at Marriott Marquis, and I'm like, I need to go to 39th and 25th, whatever. Uh, See, but this is why I, you've got to, like, stay somewhere else in New York. Do you know what I mean? Besides Times Square? Because I think, like, when you stay in Times Square, you just can walk to, like, the little landmarks, but you don't traverse the island. Okay. Whereas if you started off, like, at the bottom of the island and you walked to Central Park, you'd have a better sense of hmm. New York. Yeah, I really like, I always need tell to look at it that. Like, just walk around. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. No, there's plenty of walking. Maybe not in the winter. Oh, no, the other place that I stay is the Grand Central Hyatt. I stay at, that's the one that I've stayed at recently, which is. Yeah, that's still too far up. What's that, 42nd and. 42nd. And what? 
It's forty. It's like on the east side. Yeah, yeah. I get because I was just like, well, it, it's perfect because sometimes I have to go see family that live in Bronx and Yonkers and Westchester. It's just easy to stay at that hotel and literally walk to Grand Central from the Grand Central Hyatt. I can just go downstairs and cross over. Uh, so that's been fun. Anyway, directional talk, directional New York talk with <laughs> Ashley and Steve. Should this be our new podcast? I would love that. <laughs> Should this be our new podcast, just talking about directions yes. in New York and where to get places? Anyway. Yep. All right. Let's go. We got uh, we got two callers this week, and then uh, uh, we will be back in a couple weeks. All right. Let's bring in our caller. Her name is Rachel. She is in New York City and joining us. Rachel, how are you? Good, Steve. Hi, Ashley. Hi there. Uh, all right, so Rachel, why don't you just lay out your situation, what you're dealing with, and uh, we will chime in when we feel like it. Okay, great. Um, so I'll preface this by saying um, I'm 36 years old. I live in New York City. Um, I'm an only child, and kind of part of the story is about how I help out my mom um, financially and emotionally, and then the other part is kind of the relationship I have with my parents and how that plays into everything, and it's it's relatable in some ways, but in some ways I think it's really unique. Um, so just some background on the relationship with my parents. They've been divorced since I've been six. So for 30 years, my mom's dated in the past. Um, nothing in several years. My dad has never dated, said that he doesn't want anyone else's problems and kind of sticks to himself. Um, in 2009, I was living with my mom, um, and in a house that we were renting, um, my dad was in another house a few towns away um, that he was renting. And that house went up for sale. So he needed a place to live. And he was, you know, very much saying that, fine, I'll live in my truck. I don't really care. And we had a house and there was more than enough space. My mom said, why don't you why don't you just move in with us? And you're always here helping with animals and stuff. So just do that. So he did. Um, in 2012, I moved in with my boyfriend, now fiance, um, because I got a job in the city. And things were, I don't want to say okay, because there's always been tension between my parents. My mom tends to be overly critical of my dad, me, pretty much everyone she comes into contact with. Um, but that aside, in 2013, my mom was laid off from her job. She was in her late 50s, and um, to this day, she is still looking for work. It's frustrating when you see your friend's parents and other people's parents, you know, retiring at this age, and my mom is trying to find a job, full-time job. Um, she's always raised me to be really independent and not to rely on anyone, especially a man. Um, she worked two jobs while raising me. My dad was always involved, but... You know, she started college at 38, graduated, got her degree. So, you know, always had this role model of, of, of um, you know, independence. And that's kind of how I was raised. Um, so at the time in 2013, of course, I offered to help. I feel like any daughter or son would do that. But it's been over six years and I still want to help. And I think I would feel less frustrated about it if the relationship was better if the way she treated people was better um fast forward to um 
a few years later, um, the house that my parents were renting that my dad was pretty much paying for, um, it went into foreclosure. The people that they were giving rent money to just didn't pay their mortgage and they needed a place to live. So um, I said, you know, why don't we try and buy something? And my mom didn't have a job. She had great credit. Thanks to me. Um, I did as well. My dad didn't want anything to do with that. He didn't want his name on anything. And I asked my fiance and I don't want to say he was more than willing to help, but he thought maybe in the long run, this will benefit all of us. Fine. So we, the two of us bought this house with my dad's help. I put in tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, my mom did all of the heavy lifting and kind of coordinated everything. But again, just it, we weren't at a time when we wanted to buy something. Um, and now at this time, it's not like we could buy our own home and you know, at this point, we want to start a family. And I feel like I can at this point because I'm I'm helping her financially, emotionally. Uh, you know, we talk every night for hours. She doesn't have anyone else. Um, and while she's the most caring person you'll ever meet, my fiance, who's extremely frustrated with her many times, will say that. But she's bitter, she's resentful, and extremely negative. You get on the phone, and it's just complaining about things. And the way she treats my dad is just is awful. Um, she calls him her best friend because he's probably her only friend. And, it, and it's also just weird that they're living together and they're divorced for this many years. I mean, it's very unusual. Usually when you divorce, you don't move back in with each other. But yeah. there are special circumstances. But... You know, she'll criticize my dad for his speech or the way he does something. If he does something wrong, like mowing the lawn wrong or something stupid, and we'll call him a liar and say that he betrays her. I mean, it, it's just really outrageous. So my dad gets extremely frustrated. And for pretty much my whole life, he, he doesn't like to communicate. He has trouble with that. So he will take off in his truck and drive away and he'll sleep in parking lots in his truck for a night, a few nights, a week. It's bizarre. And I talked to my fiance about this and he, he knows his story. And he said, I don't blame him because he doesn't want to live with her. It's, it's basically, it's basically abuse. And I probably do the same thing or I would just leave, not come, come back. But Again, my dad is paying for the mortgage, or at least a lot of it, while I'm doing the rest. And my mom is actively looking for jobs. She feels extremely guilty about the whole thing, but she doesn't show it. Um, one disturbing um, situation was a few Christmases ago, and they were arguing about something stupid. And it was very, very late at night, and I... I'll preface this by saying I would be shocked. I, would, I wouldn't I would be surprised if he hurt himself. I think you know what I'm trying to say. As awful yeah. as that sounds. And I was frustrated and I wanted to yell at her, but I'm afraid of her. I think a lot of people are, or they just write her off if they don't want to deal with her. And I said to him, I don't know why you haven't just killed yourself. And I feel awful about saying that. I did the, the second I said that I'm just thinking like 
I don't, I don't understand because this is abuse every single day. It's every holiday, every birthday. And he said, oh, I want to. And my mom's, and obviously I'm upset. My mom's reaction was, well, if there's a hell, that's where you're going. And, you know, and, and you leave us with nothing. And again, he left and I didn't see him. And my mom and I had a very sad Christmas by ourselves. And my fiance and I have been taking trips past few holidays and birthdays because I'd love to be at home if there was a happy environment or with other family around, but there isn't that. And I'd rather go away and spend money and yeah, have a good time, but then be around that. And she wonders why I don't want to be around. Um, some things, you know, another thing is that she will threaten if he leaves again to cancel his car insurance because his insurance is, it's kind of a multi-policy is with hers and with the house. And in the end that screws me and my fiance over because our names are on this mortgage. Hers isn't, his isn't either. Um, I've talked to friends about this. They have mixed reactions. I have a friend that's a similar situation where she's helping out her mom and her mom's not grateful. And I have to say that my mom is, she says that every day and she feels so guilty about having to go in the bank account. I gave her access to that. So it would just be easier for her to take out. And it's not like it's frivolous things. It's, it's things that are needed, um, for the most part. Um, and then other people will just say you need to write her off. And it's easy to say that because it's, just, it's a very unique situation. And I, I, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's, um, it's, this it sounds, it is tough because, again, it's family and you're an only child, like you said, and they don't have a great relationship. And I, the, the first thing that came to my mind was, is there any way to get your mom into a home? But is she not that? How old is she again? Um, early 60s. That's too early for a home, right? Especially if there's nothing like medically. Yeah, there's nothing. Okay, yeah. yeah. And she said, you know, maybe I should go to therapy. And, oh, and she made my dad go to therapy. And then she asked him what happened at therapy and if they talked about her. And he said, yes. And she's like, well, don't bring me up next time. You know, I should go with you. And I said, please please go together. And, you know, then she said, maybe I should go to therapy. And when I've said, yeah, maybe you should. And, you know, I work in the medical field and I, I know about depression and I, I can't diagnose her, but I think she is depressed and she will admit that she thinks she is, um, that she needs to go. But, you know, it's, and I think it's, it's gotten worse over the years because of the fact that she's not working full time. She doesn't feel like she is contributing. Um, and, you know, I've been engaged for almost six years and I don't know if we're going to get married. Um, I don't feel at this point, like there's a need to, I was never really a person that felt like they had to get married. Um, and for various reasons, but one thing is that I feel like she'd ruin their wedding and my fiance thinks that as well. And as nice and calm as he is, he said that if that's the case, like he would, he would kick her out because she's ruining our day, everyone's day. 
And at, you know, I think that she would be an amazing grandmother because she is so caring and involved. She's very, very involved. But on the same time, same hand, I, I think she'd be resentful because she's not getting my full, wouldn't be getting my full attention anymore. And, um, and I wouldn't be able to help as much as I am now. And so it's just a, a frustrating situation where don't really know what to do. Um, it's been so long and it's gotten worse over the years. And unfortunately there, there isn't family around. Um, she kind of wrote them off and I don't blame her because I think they're a little crazy, crazier than her, but in other ways. Um, and then on my dad's side, she was close with them, but that's been strained over the years as well. So that's kind of where it, where it stands, unfortunately. And I don't think that my parents should be living together. There's a reason they got divorced and they just don't get along, but she can't afford anything on her own. And he's fine living in his truck, which is weird. I mean, he, the guy, he needs a vacation. He hasn't had a vacation since I was five. And, you know, I'll, I'll take her on vacations just to appease her for, for a week or so, um, just to kind of give her a change of scenery. Um, and there's always an issue with, with that. There's, Someone on the plane or someone that she meets during a hike. There's There are arguments over stupid things constantly. And at this point, I can't keep doing that. And, um, you know, she wonders why I don't want to go away with her. That's why. It's not a relaxing Yikes. I think the, the sad thing here is really that, like, it's almost like your life is on pause. Because yeah. you're the parent in this situation, and it is not your job to parent your parents. And I know it's really hard to pull yourself back, especially because you're an only child and because it's it's hard to not take care of your parents whenever they're not doing the right things. But at this point, you're enabling all of her behavior. And I think even though she's saying that she's grateful, this is going to sound awful, but I almost wonder if she is saying those things as a form of manipulation. Yeah. Where it, when she's saying she feels guilty and things like that, it's almost like she's saying she feels guilty because she knows it's something she has to say, but I don't know if that's true, if she's not trying to alleviate this stress off of you. Because if you live in New York, how are you doing a mortgage for someone else and paying your stuff here? Because I was in a similar situation when my dad passed away and I couldn't do it. Yeah. That's yeah. so stressful. I cannot imagine what you're going through yeah it's it's stressful I mean my dad he pays the the majority of it of the mortgage um that's in my name and then I'll, I'll pay the rest but I help her out with every other bill and basically I bought this house and my fiance helped and um 
and yeah, I'm paying my share of the rent in my apartment. And yeah, like I said, we would probably like to have a house of our own, but we can't because no one's going to give us a mortgage if we already have another one. Um, yeah. How much, what percentage of the mortgage are you paying and how much is your percentage is your dad paying? Uh, he's paying 90%, I would say. Okay. Yeah. But unfortunately, and he said this to me and to her and to other people that it doesn't feel like a home to him. And while she says, don't you feel grateful? And Rachel, if it wasn't for her and her, her fiance, we wouldn't be in this situation and you wouldn't have this home and I wouldn't either. And I'd be on the street. And he says, yes, but it doesn't feel like a home because I'm not treated well. And yes, he does lie about things, but stupid things like he's, he was never like the, the go getter kind of guy. He is extremely laid back. I, the hardest worker I know, but, um, with things like contractors and stuff that my parents hire, he, he gets, I think, nervous and doesn't know what to say and says like to her, you're better off with them. You deal with it. And I feel like if he's working and she's not, and, and she, trust me, she doesn't want to work and she's had some jobs here and there, but then she should be dealing with all the house stuff and just let him do his thing. Um, and I forgot where I was going with that. Um, but um, he, said he, she, he said he said he doesn't feel like a home. Or... Right. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel like a home to him. Um, and he's slept in our garage and oh yeah yeah with the the nervous thing so he he will say like oh i called so-and-so contractor and she'll catch him in a lie and because he didn't because i think he feels nervous and instead of just telling her the truth he'll lie about it she'll react like that's a huge betrayal and i'll say to him while i'm having this conversation with the two of them i'll say just don't lie about that. Just say, no, I didn't call him or I'm not feeling confident or whatever, because this always comes back. She always catches you in these stupid lies. Some are bigger than others. And then it's just worse. And I think he, and then that's how she, that's how she reacts to, to it. Overreacting, I would say. I would just not, get involved with them just try to like not get involved in their arguments because this is not this is not on you yeah yeah and I'll say that you know I'll say the thing to her you know I've got my own stuff going on and she's like well but we're a family and I have things too and you know I'm stressed and makes me feel and guilty she should talk she should talk to a counselor or a therapist or something. This is not your job. There yeah. are other ways to be a family besides complaining to each other and putting stress on each other. Yeah. I mean, I, when we, when I'm with them, cause I'll go home every month or so, um, try to limit that. And when there's like a nice moment and actual, laughter it's so nice and refreshing but i know that in five minutes there's going to be a fight about something and he's going to leave like he's been doing for 30 plus years and then she's just going to be complaining to me 
about it. It's a weird situation. It is. It's difficult. And I think your dad is handling it about as best as he can. And based on what I'm hearing, it's almost like you can't even blame him for wanting to get out. I don't know about sleeping in the parking lot of a place. I mean, who does he think, yeah. who does he, think he is? Dean? Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I, I, I really I agree with Ashley in that you need to kind of cut her off. And I really wanted to ask about what your fiance, he's got to be up to his, like, he's got to be at his, what's the phrase? Wits end? Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, to the point where is your husband, is your fiance like, look, if this doesn't change, if something about this situation doesn't change and we're still enabling her a year or two from now, like, I'm not going to be here anymore. Has it gotten to that point with him or no? No, he's never said that. Um, he He's had, I don't want to say arguments with her, but conversations that aren't so great. Um, and then she'll kind of take away from it like, oh, he's he he tells it like it is. And I because I, I do that, too. And I appreciate that. And, you know, he's he's so wise. Um, but he'll he many times or you know, he'll look at her while she's acting like this and she'll say well you're looking at me like I'm crazy and what he wants to say is because you're acting crazy um and he's said to me I will I have no problem telling her how I feel but I know that she's going to take it out on you she's going to take it out on your dad and I don't want to see you upset because you are anyway it's it's, I know it's going to be worse but um he you know he's never gotten to that point um it's not like he's paying for her even though he helped out with the house and his name is on a mortgage on a house that he's not living in um but we also thought you know it hadn't been six years that she hasn't had a full-time job at that point and we thought that i we just all thought it was a good change of scenery this is a positive thing and it turned out to be awful unfortunately I mean, he's he's extremely patient. Well, that's good. Uh, I'm glad you're not losing him over this because I honestly think if he gave you some sort of ultimatum or said, gave you some sort of hint, like, look, if this isn't taken care of in a you know X amount of time frame, then you and I are done. I think things would probably be handled a little bit differently because I think you would choose him over your mother based on what you've told. I think so. Um, I mean, she, I had a friend that I was friends with since I was five and that friendship ended maybe five years ago. And my mom was partially responsible for that. They had, you know, she pretty much raised her like her own child and I wasn't there for this falling out. And my mom, one thing that she's not is a liar. She, I, I really believe that. And my friend basically said, you know, we we had this very awkward dinner after not seeing her for a while, and I haven't seen her since. And she said, I cannot be around your mom anymore. I just won't do it. And at that point, there was some gaslighting involved and, and other things and other issues. But I had to choose my mom at that point um, over this friendship. I wish... I've tried reaching out to her 
I wish she'd reach out to me and I can be honest and say, this is what's going on. And so much has happened in these five years, but she's just kind of destroyed so many relationships of her own and mine. Yeah. All, all the more reason that I'm with Ashley on what she says, that it's just, you're enabling her and this isn't healthy for you in any way, shape or form. Like this is, this isn't working for you. Um, but it is family, so I get how it's tough. Like I, I don't know what you, in outside of just flat out telling your mom I'm not contributing anymore. I can't do this. I have my own life to think of. I have a fiance that I've engaged to for six years. We haven't been able to move forward with some of the things that we want to do because of this. I mean, I it's a hard conversation to have. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And I mean, and, and she said things like, I hope this isn't holding you back. And I hope, uh, or, you know, she's blamed my dad. She said, you probably don't want to get married because dad can't afford a wedding. And first of all, I, I am hate being the center of attention, having a big wedding and all eyes on me. See, it just sounds like a nightmare to me. So I wouldn't want that, but it has nothing to do with that at all. I think it's so many things. Um, but I know I tell her, I'm like, no, I, if I didn't have the money, then I wouldn't help. I wouldn't offer. And I do have it, but I would have so much more if, if this wasn't the case. And, um, you know, at one point I was out of work for about a year. Um, I was living at home. This was before I found my job in the city and moved in with my boyfriend and, you know, she didn't ask for anything. And, but again, that's, a year compared to 60 plus, And I'm also her daughter. Um, and I feel bad for feeling this way towards her. Yeah. What would you think about seeing a therapist about all of this? Yeah, I, I, I definitely would. Um, funny, not so funny story is that, as a teenager, like I, I lied about a math score or something and um, didn't tell my parents about it as a teenager. And her reaction was getting the principal, the teacher, the guidance counselor involved and my parents meeting and talking about this and how I lied about it. And then she made me go to therapy. So at so I went with my parents and sat there for an hour and the two of them argued. And then I kept going by myself for like a year and it was pointless because the therapist would just ask me about my day. And then one day she said, you don't need to be here. I think maybe your parents need to go. Um, so <laughs> bizarre. Um, so yeah, I think I would benefit from it. Um, I'm not opposed think, to it at all. I think the therapist could help you figure out some boundaries in terms of having this relationship with your mom. Um, because yeah, I just, I feel like you're playing mediator. You're playing the parent. Um, you are almost just doing yourself a disservice because there's really no end in sight for you financially supporting your mom at this point because the longer she doesn't 
get a job, you know, she's she's not going to be able to get one the older she gets, I yeah. feel like, you know? You said, and, and you said it's been since 2013. I, it's been seven years almost since, I mean, she hasn't gotten a job in six six years, almost coming up on seven. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time, yeah. right, Ashley? I mean, yeah. Would Yeah, I mean, would you ever feel comfortable telling her that, you weren't going to pay for anything if she didn't get a job or at least, you know, try. Yeah. She's definitely tried. She had something part-time that she liked for about a year and a half. Um, and then they cut her hours and kept cutting hours and business wasn't doing well. And then she's in the past few months, she's had three jobs that lasted two weeks and they all sounded like, toxic environments but at the same time it can't always be someone else it just it doesn't make any sense and you know she she would have said to me when I was looking for a job for a year that just you know take anything at this point I've said something in retail or or not that you know in a sense I feel like she thinks that it's below her um because she's got a degree and but for someone else or me she wouldn't say that so she she is always actively looking, and I'm looking for her. I'm the one sending her these listings, and sometimes you, sending the resumes. You gotta, you gotta stop doing this, though. I know. Do you know what I mean? I think where where you've got to just be like, you have to get a job. This is my timeline for when I am going to stop paying for your stuff because even. Even if she is getting these jobs and say there's just something about it she doesn't like, there's no incentive for her to keep them if she knows that she always has you as backup. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But like, trust me, I know. Like, I, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on here, but my dad did not have a job from the time I was 11 until he passed away when I guess like I was 24. Um, and it just stressed me out to no end. My mom worked three jobs. I was always looking for jobs for my dad. Um, I mean, he, you know, was on unemployment for forever and it was just that everyone else would help him out and help him figure it out. He, there was just no reason for him to do it, but I mean, I used to like lay in bed and think about it at night that like I knew I was going to have to take care of my dad if he never got a job. And I I can't imagine what that stress is doing to you every day, even if you aren't actively thinking about it. It's it's not your job at this age, especially if something isn't medically wrong with your parents to take care of them in this way. Yeah, well... Speaking of medically, I forgot to mention. So my my dad has a rare eye condition. About a little over a year ago, he lost uh, vision in one of his eyes, and I thought maybe that was a turning point. He kind of broke down to my mom because he he's still driving and working, and he probably shouldn't be. I mean, I I close one eye and try walking, and it's scary. And she'll you know point that out. And give them a hard time, like, well, you know, you acted like this before you lost your vision. And, um, you know, if if he and my fiance had said this before we got the house, if 
something happens to him or he gets hurt on the job, he works for himself, and I don't think he's got any um, business insurance, then we're screwed. And both of them would be as well. Um, I mean, maybe the, the three of us would be, benefit from therapy um, because it's been quite some time and, you know, things have only gotten worse over the years. Have y'all looked into possibly selling the house to get your name off the mortgage and maybe your parents doing two separate apartments or something? We've looked into it. Um, I don't, you know, he needs to kind of be in that area for work. Um, I think at one point I'll just be taking her in whatever that may be, because I don't think they could afford two different things. Even apartments would be just as much as one mortgage. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is a tough situation. Again, this is something that I think ultimately there needs to be a timeline set. And then if that timeline isn't met with a job, you've got to separate yourself or at least contribute very very little because it's just she hasn't like Ashley said she really has no incentive to try and fight for anything and go out and get anything it just doesn't make any sense for her because she knows she has you to fall back on so maybe yeah. maybe uh lighting a fire is hey if you don't get it by this date it just I can't help you anymore I've got to you know worry about my life but um Rachel please uh Please keep us updated uh, in a couple months. Get back to me and let me know exactly what happened, where where you're at with this, and hopefully um, something good comes out of it. I mean, I really hope so for your financial future and fiancés, and, and you can get on with, with things going on in your life. Thanks. I hope there are updates and positive ones to share with you guys. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll be thinking about you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rachel. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Rachel, for that. Interesting situation. It's a tough one because it is family. And if she says, Mom, screw you, I'm done, even though we kind of suggested at some point she's going to have to lay down the law, it's still not an easy conversation to have, you know? Yeah, I mean, I just... I feel so badly for her. I really feel like she's the parent yeah. in this situation. And that's just a lot to take on when you have a career oh, for and sure. rent that you're already paying for yourself. <laughs> well, and well, not only that, she's and like she said in the call, she's not allowed to kind of move on with her life with her husband. Like they're thinking they want to start a family yeah. and that's just, it's a, it's a difficult situation all around. I hope she, I really hope she's able to clear that up and it, it, somehow, I mean, I don't think there's an easy solution to any of this, but, um, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll reach something and her mom will understand that her, her daughter needs to get on with her life and her marriage and start a family and whatnot. But I don't know if there's anything that's uh, going to be a hundred percent, like not make somebody uncomfortable in that situation. And that's, you know, that's unfortunate. But um, 
I'm really hoping this is one of those situations where people listening will have experiences with this and be able to offer some insight because I think both you and I just in this situation, we could offer up advice, but I have no real experience to fall back on in giving her advice. Yeah, I know that was, that was a tough one, but definitely Rachel, uh, let us know in a couple months exactly where you're at, if anything has changed uh, and whatnot. Okay, let's get to our second caller. Her name is Renee. She is in Fresno. Renee, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for coming on. So I wanted to come on and just share the story of my past year in hopes that it can help some other people because I've had a really difficult time getting through it. Um, I do suffer from major depression and anxiety, and I know you guys have talked a lot about that in the past and are familiar with it. Um, So last, well, let's see, let's do this chronologically. Um, In March of 2014, I was arrested for a DUI. Um, They pulled me over for speeding, which I wasn't, um, and ended up taking me into custody overnight. And um, I got an attorney for that one, and he attended the DMV court hearing with me. Because I don't know how familiar, if you haven't gone through it, you might not know, but um, there's two separate cases. There's the the case with the DMV and then the case with the Superior Court. So you have to go through both of those. So the first, the the one that just came sooner was the, um, the hearing with the DMV court which I hired an attorney for and lost that hearing. And then he told me that they have 365 days as the statute of limitations before the court, criminal court can file charges. And he told me that it's really common in our county um, for that not to happen. So the 365 days passes and you, they just never filed charges. So that 365 days passed, thought I was in the clear, that just, you know, charges didn't get filed. I had to do the, um, I had um, three months without a driver's license, but I didn't have to do the DUI classes or get a blower on my car or anything like that, because that's, those are all things that happen through the criminal court system and not that the DMV orders. So it was, it was pretty easy. And I thought, oh, no big deal. So fast forward almost five years later, um, actually a year ago this week, um, it was the Saturday after Thanksgiving of last year, I um, got pulled over for expired registration. And the registration on my vehicle had expired um, like a week prior. So it was still within the same month and everything. So they were obviously using that as a way to to pull me over and they when they pulled me over they notified me that there had been a bench warrant out for me um for the past five years for the first incident which i thought was done and over with so they arrested me again took me in um and i go to court a couple of weeks later which um, to the date that's on the ticket that they they provided with me. And I show up there and the judge um, 
Well, I'm there for hours. First of all, there's like, it's insane. You go there and you, st and you're, they tell you you have to, you're on the eight o'clock calendar and you don't get heard until 4 PM on some, in some occasions. So it was just crazy. Um, do you have any questions so far? I'm like just kind of rambling because it's a long, complicated story. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, you weren't done. So I was just kind of like, where are you at no. now and whatnot? Or, okay. Or okay. Yeah. So, um, so we got a public defender and the public defense system was just horrible. I, there would be a different <clears throat> public defender in court than the ones that I would see at their office when I went to discuss strategy and whatnot. And um, I, I saw like six different public defenders throughout this thing. And I'd have to tell them the whole story again once I met them. And it was just really frustrating. And they kept continuing the case, continuing the case. I found out that we were, um, our appearances were for the old case from 2014 and the new case for 2018 wasn't even on the court's calendar yet. No, no files had been charged again. And so we asked that that the new case be brought on with the old case so that they could um, they could do a global resolution, which means they can take care of everything all at once. So then we kept waiting and waiting again. Meanwhile, I've lost my job because my job required driving. <clears throat> and I was I'm on Medi-Cal getting food stamps getting mortgage assistance because luckily I own my home because otherwise I, you know, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't own my home and have mortgage assistance as an option, but I'm using all these government services and I've always been like a hard worker and <clears throat> had, you know, one of my last jobs was for 15 years with the same company. I've been heavily involved in the community on boards of directors for nonprofits. And I have two kids that are grown now that live near me that I help with. My son's autistic, and so he requires a lot more help <clears throat> than a normal 19-year-old. He's 19. Um, so I'm ju I've just been so frustrated with the system, and I kept thinking throughout my whole journey <clears throat> that if, if I wasn't somebody that was as smart as I am and have the wherewithal to figure things out and talk to the public defenders and do all these things, that it just would have been even worse. And if I didn't know how to get these services that are helping me, that it would have been even worse. So I just kept thinking of people out there who are going through this and mind you, there's no conviction. You can't, <clears throat> in order, my main goal was to get my driver's license back so that I could be working again. And so the, the first phase, we ended up getting the old case dismissed because once they watched the video on it, they could see that I was not speeding. And so there was no, there was no purpose or, or probable cause for the stop. <clears throat> and um, so that one got dismissed. And also because it had taken five years and I haven't moved or changed addresses or phone numbers or anything. And so it was on them to get a hold of me and they hadn't. <clears throat> So that gets dismissed and I call a DMV to find out, okay, this one's dismissed. Um, we're moving forward on the other one with a plea agreement for a first offense. How can I get my restricted driver's license so that I can start working again? And they told me that because the first one was dismissed, 
I was not eligible for a restricted driver's license and it would be a hard suspension for a full year. So if the first one had been convicted and the second one, if I had two convictions, then I'd be able to get a restricted driver's license for to and from work and or get the breathalyzer in my car and drive whenever I wanted. But because the first one was dismissed, I wasn't eligible. So <clears throat> how does that make sense? It doesn't make any sense at all. And I talked to so many people to verify that that was correct. And, you know, we moved forward with the court case and I called them when that was done and they said, oh, it'll take 30 days for it to get transmitted to the court from the court. And um, so I thought, well, even though they're still telling me that I won't be eligible, I'm still going to call again and keep following up. So I kept following up and following up. And, and once the new case was submitted, I just had the same story that <clears throat> I'm, I'm not eligible. It's just such a rare case that this type of thing happens, you know, that they come on calendar for from five years apart and then one of them gets dismissed. So I think it's just that DMV doesn't have a policy in place for that because it's so uncommon. And so their requirement for the restricted license is a conviction. So, which again, like you said, it makes no sense. <laughs> Did you ever talk to the lawyer from the first case that gave you the wrong information that kind of resulted in this whole thing? I did. I, I called him when it, when it first happened and I said, you know, what's they're telling me I have a bench warrant out for this last one and that charges were filed when I thought they hadn't been. And he's he's his response was, well, I handled the DMV case for you, not the criminal case. I'm like, I know, because it hadn't been filed yet. So, because <laughs> it, you know, as far as I knew, it never got filed. So the notification, it, he wasn't helpful. He's moved out of the area. He's, there's some possible corruption stories there, but he's gone. I hope you filed a complaint against him. <clears throat> that, I mean, I hadn't even thought about that. I've had so, <laughs> so many other things, but yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> so um so that's pretty much it I fight you know it was really difficult um the first few months because I was going to court a lot and I wasn't they were wanting to continue it for three months at a time and I wanted to speed it up so that I could hopefully get my license back sooner and so I was going frequently and it would just be continued again. And of course I'd have to get a drive and the, the, um, the courthouse is an hour away from where I live. The public defender is an hour away from where I live and the public defenders won't do anything by phone or email or Skype or anything like that. It's only in person. So every time I had to see them, I'd have to get a ride, have to get a, a ride to the courthouse, did do the DUI classes and had to get rides for those, which was two to three times a week. And um, it just like uprooted my whole life. And um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm my um, hard suspension for the full year will be over February 20th of 2020. So 0202 or 02202020. <laughs> oh, wow. And you'll yeah. be able to get your license it'll, then? Or yeah. It, license? No, it'll be my just my full regular license because my whole 
suspension period has been um, without any at all. <clears throat> so the last, so for the last year, you haven't been able to drive a car. Correct. Since February of last year. How have you gotten around? Or February of this year, I guess. Um, I well, <clears throat> Public my mom lives in the area. Oh. No, that's another thing. Well, that's part of the reason that the DUI has happened in the first place. It's because we live in a in a pretty rural part of the area, and there's no Uber, no Lyft, no taxis. No, I mean, there's like there's just no no public transportation at all. So, hmm. and and you know, I know that people are really harsh on drunk driving and I'm not trying to excuse that at all. And I'm not trying to like get people to feel sorry for me that I'm going through all this because I know that it's due to decisions that I made that were wrong, but there was, you know, a, a low, it was above the legal limit, but low blood alcohol, one, 1.0. And, um, both times I was pulled over, you know, I wasn't like I got in a car accident. I didn't hurt anybody. I know that I know it's still not okay, but I, and I know people are going to come down about it, but I think just bringing light to how complicated it, it can be and how much it can derail your life is worth me sharing that, even though I know I'm probably going to get a lot of negative feedback about it, you know? <clears throat> No, I think it is important to to tell these types of stories just because it does show that, you know, just a little bit of misinformation and just a couple of, you know, wrong steps show how immersed you can really get into the criminal system and how it really just, it takes such a long time and it takes so much effort yeah. to get things done. And there's just such a process that, you know, it, it should be easier and it should work for the people more. And it just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. And I'll, I'll say, too, that if if the first one hadn't fallen through the cracks, so to speak, and, and had had the harsher consequences that it should have had, there probably wouldn't have been a second one. <laughs> right. But, you know, I mean, not to say that, oh, I got off easy, I'm going to go do it again. It's not that attitude. But I'm just, you know, if you have anything to drink and, and drive up here, there, it's it's just not worth it at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the good thing, the, po the positive to take out of this, obviously, like you said, is, like, you know, nobody was hurt. Um, right. Doesn't excuse it. It wasn't like you killed somebody or ran into anything it was a pull you know you got pulled over you got caught and obviously i think you know right you seem to have learned your lesson and um oh yeah absolutely and i and it's i'm not a big drinker either like i'm you know i'm a social drinker i so it's like you know even even being stuck in my house for the last nine months or however long it's been so far i i don't drink at home i'm because it's just not my thing so it's not like what i have a you, problem what would you say are your biggest takeaways from all of this? Like, what would you suggest to people for them to do if they find themselves in this type of situation in terms of dealing with lawyers or dealing with the DMV or dealing with, what do you think is your um, best advice? I think to 
just to know what your resources are in your area because every area has different options but you know as far as the public defenders are concerned or if there's um like a uh the DOI counselor for the classes that I took was super helpful so you can always um talk to them for information even if you haven't been assigned to those classes yet track somebody like that down that has knowledge and experience of the both the DMV side and the court side in your area because they're all different <clears throat> So I think, you know, just knowing what your resources are and taking advantage of them because you have to and setting up a support network of people for to give you rides. You know, I've had my my mom and my aunt and a couple of close friends that I've um, been able to line up rides with for all of those things, but also grocery shopping and to do laundry because I, I don't have a washer and dryer in my house. So like all those things that you just take for granted. And I will never take for granted again. <laughs> for sure. I mean, Jesus. I mean, that's a lot of stuff, especially if you're in a, like you said, you're in a rural area. I can never say rural right the first time. Um, it's one of the toughest words to say. Yeah. If you're just saying it fast and in a normal sentence, it's very hard to say. You have to almost say rural yes. every time. Rural. Um, the fact that you're not in one of those areas, it makes it um, shit. You can't, you know, there's no, like you said, no Lyft. There's no Uber, no public transportation, no taxis. I, you're in, you were in a tough spot at that point, but I guess yeah. the only thing you could have done at that point was call a, a relative or a friend and said, right. can you take me? Can you pick me up? Exactly. Which, you know, and, and obviously, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, and I sure as hell know better now and won't even chance it ever without, you know, a, well, the, the probation includes three years of zero alcohol in your blood for driving. So I know that I've got at least that. But even after that, like, I would, I don't ever want to drive with any alcohol in my system at all ever again yeah. <laughs> after all of this. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's good that you learned that lesson. I was hoping that you would. And, um, <laughs> you know, I think, I think a lot of people in this situation, you know, think I'll never get caught again or whatever the case may be, but. Right. You know. No, that's true. Especially in an area like this. Oh my gosh, when I went to the DOA classes, there were people who had been driving on suspended licenses for ten years or whatever and who had like multiple like I don't mean multiple two, I mean multiple like five, six, seven DUIs on their record. It's like, oh my god, I just can't even I'm I'm thankful that's not me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's good. I mean, I appreciate you calling and I appreciate you sharing your story with us and letting people know, you know, God, there are other options. And the last thing you want to do, especially in your situation, not everybody's going to deal with the legal hassle that you had to deal with and some shoddy work from lawyers. But just know that if you get into it, yeah, exactly. if you get a DUI, shit like this can happen and something can come down where it just screws everything up. And you just obviously you don't want to. You just don't. Yeah. For a full year. I mean, can yeah. you, you can't even fathom that. Yeah. There's, it's just, it's unbelievable. And of course I've, I've kind of come more to terms with it now than I was in the beginning of, you know, obviously it triggered my depression and anxiety big time, just freaking out over 
what was going to happen before I had a conclusion. And then once I had a conclusion, it's like, okay, I still have another six months of this and, you know, not able to work and whatnot. So it's just, yeah, hmm. not worth it. Well, I appreciate you coming it- on Renee. Um, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And, um, I hope people are listening and I hope people don't, I mean, it, it should be like, a no-brainer that you don't drive drunk, but it really should. That's but true. We know, but we know, it's not. We know people do, and it's just <laughs> the bottom line is it's not worth it, no matter what. And then, and there's so many different ways now to get home from somewhere, whether it be Lyft or Uber or a taxi or whatever. Um, maybe not in a rural area, but a uh, <laughs> yeah, line up a friend. Yeah, just, line up a friend. You know, Call figure something out in advance because if you don't plan for it in advance that's when you get caught off guard and you think oh i was only going to have one and i end up having two or three and that's too many and yeah. you, you know even though it doesn't seem like a lot it's too much so make the plans in advance so that you're not caught in that situation for sure <laughs> thank you very much renee i appreciate yeah. it all right thanks you guys thank you thank you all right thanks to renee for coming on one of the things that I was thinking about that whole time, kind of a, on a lighter note, was, um, see, Ashley, you and I live completely different lives because you, I don't even think you know how to drive, right? What? Yes. Steve, I grew up in the South. Oh, that's right. Okay, that's right. <laughs> I just assume New York, because you always take, you don't drive now, do you? Well, I drive in the summer when I have Burley in the Hamptons. I actually drive a Bronco. Like a 89 Bronco. But you don't own a car right now, right? I do not own okay. a car. Okay, that's why Yeah, I I'm not driving a Bronco around New York. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, that's right. I just knew that you lived in New York, and every time, you know, with your sometimes on your stories, you're either, you know, you're on the subway or whatever. And for some reason, I just yeah. thought either you, you didn't know how to drive, but that's right. You grew up in North wait, Carolina. Why are you thinking about this during that call? Oh, wait. <laughs> What? Hold on. I I thought we were talking about <laughs> No. No, we're talking about Renee. <laughs> okay. Makes sense. Now yeah. it makes sense. Well, the thing I was thinking yeah. about was was that. That was like, wait, does Ashley even drive? Could she relate to this? And then the other thing I was just thinking about was just like just being without like for me, obviously, I don't take public transportation anywhere. I barely The only time I Uber is when I'm out of town cuz I don't yeah. I don't drink enough to where when I go out I need to Uber home and I am just too right. I'm just too I never want to leave my car somewhere overnight and then have to Uber back or whatever. So I'm never in that situation, but I the thought process of not having a car for a whole year and not being able to drive for a whole year, granted I work from home um and I don't have to drive to work, but just not being able to have access and I would assume if that were to happen to me and I had no license for a year and couldn't drive, I would have to Uber everywhere or have my, yeah. Oh God. What a, that's just gotta be a hassle. That just sucks. I mean, like the only thing, the only thing I can kind of think of it would be like is, so when we go out to the Hamptons for the summer for a while, East Hampton, which is a, a large part actually of the Hamptons, decided that it was no longer going to allow Uber there. Mm. And so 
there's not enough taxis for the area. So what it was doing was really just encouraging people to drive drunk because there isn't a lot of public transportation besides taxis and taxis out there will really rip you off. Like they make you pay per person. So if you have a pretty long ride, like that's a lot of money. And so, yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I just feel like in those situations, yeah, like, what do you do? You just have to really be great at planning. And, like, I feel like it also creates a very unsafe situation for women. (laughs) Yeah, I would think so. Now, granted, she's in an area that just doesn't have a lot of people, so she's not in. But just... And I'm sure loved ones and friends would help her out when they can, but I'm sure that's got to be a little bit of a burden on them too. Like, gosh, that's right. I got to take her and I got to pick her up and take her somewhere. You know, that's just, I'm sure they helped out, but that's crazy. Um, So thank you to Renee and thank you to Rachel before her for uh, this episode of Calls. This was episode number 24. We're going to do one more in the year 2019 in a couple weeks probably. And uh, and then that'll be it for 2019. And then once the new year rolls around, we'll be back in full gear, hopefully getting you uh, an episode every two weeks again. So um, that'll do it for episode number 24. Ashley, thank you very much. Of course. Good job. And uh, we will uh, we will see you again in a couple weeks. Thank you all for tuning in. Appreciate it. See you. He's telling me no. He's dragging me down. He's leading me on and stringing